Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Greetings in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God is good, isn't he? He reigns. Today the Lord has put a word on my heart about his heart for the lost. And I just pray that I'll be able to convey to you what the Lord feels about the lost. So let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for you are here. Thank you, Lord, for this family. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will talk to each one of us here and those watching. And we will understand the things of your heart. We, as your children, will understand the Father's heart. Open the eyes of our understanding and help us to know really what you want of us. Thank you, Lord, because you're going to speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In Luke chapter 19, we're all familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, hated by many. And uh, he knows that Jesus is going to cross that way. He, cli- he can't, he's a short man. And I don't know, I don't think he would be comfortable in the crowd because the people hated him. So he climbed up the tree to see Jesus. And then Jesus walks and he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. I'm going to come to your home. Just imagine. And then uh, Zacchaeus is overwhelmed. He takes Jesus to his home. And uh, then he, then all the others are not very happy about it. This man, he goes to the house of sinners. Uh, but Jesus isn't bothered about that. And then Zacchaeus, he says, Lord, I, I repent for all I've done. And I want to give back everything I've taken in a wrong manner. And he pay, says, he promises to give restitution. And then we hear Jesus say in Luke 19, verses 9 to 10. Today... Salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That word seek is to look intently. It's like finding something small that is lost in a pile of of sand. Just looking and, you know, just trying to find very intently. God seeks like that. And he seeks to and saves. Save, the word in Greek is sozo. It is to make whole, to preserve from destruction. And then it goes on to say that he has come to save that which was lost. And that word lost in Greek is apolemi. It means something that is going to be perish, to perish completely. Something that is going to its absolute destruction. So Jesus came seeking us. Giving us a chance, saving us. That we would not be lost. That we would not go into that destruction. Can we take a moment to thank God that we are here in his presence? That we are here, his children? Do you remember the day that the Lord called you, that he sought you. I remember as a teenager how even though brought up in a Christian home, I really didn't know. 
But the Lord just set, him, set me up, took me to youth camp, and I just understood what he'd done for me. I still remember how I cried in his presence, cried of joy, cries of joy. And I've never looked back. Such a wonderful experience. He came to seek for me. Let's just thank the Lord. Just tell the Lord, thank you. Just tell the Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Because if he hadn't found us, our road would be a road to destruction. There is no doubt about it. It's not enough to be good. So we just thank God for this privilege that he saved us. So God, we think that, okay, only in the New Testament, Jesus came to save the lost. But even in the Old Testament, the Lord had a heart for the lost. In the Garden of Eden, God's plan was that Adam would live with him and fellowship with him. And he had a time with him every day. As Adam was walking around in the garden, God would just talk with him and be his best friend. And just what a beautiful scene. But then at some point, they sinned. And they realized that they, oh, we can't talk to him. So they hid. And just imagine that they hid. And in his usual time, God walks in the garden, but he doesn't see them. And he would have cried out, Where are you? Where are you? It's like a mother crying for a child whom you can't find. Where are you? And the Lord came like that and said, Where are you? And Adam would have just been quiet. Sometimes these kids, when they do something naughty, they hide because they're scared. They won't come out. The same way Adam and Eve hid. But the Lord took them, found them. He sought them and he found them. And not only that, he had to judge them. But even in that judgment, he gave them a solution. For we know that uh, he told them, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. So he gave him a solution even then. God came out and sought his good friend. The same way the Lord is seeking us. And later on, we see how in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, how men were supposed to call on the Lord but they went in their own ways. And at a particular time in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham. And Abraham, he says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to bless you. And he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, listen, Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God had a plan not only for Abraham, not only for Israel, but for the nations of the world. And and later on, we see how God was planning to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So Sodom and Gomorrah had gone in a way of evil, in an evil way that, that really God regretted making men. And God could have just destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't have to ask anyone. But what does he do? He tells Abraham. He didn't have to. Why would he tell Abraham? Because Abraham could stand in the gap and pray and say, Lord, don't destroy them if there are ten people. And I believe that if there were ten people in Sodom and Gomorrah, he wouldn't have destroyed that place. That is our God. Later on, as God takes the, you know, the, 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 the people of Israel and they're in captivity, we know how after a number of years, how he takes them out through plagues and Uh, and the massive exodus. But even in that time, he says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to take you out of Egypt. And I'm going to take you into a new land. 
But along with that, I'm going to show the other nations that I am the true God. So his intention was not only to save a particular nation, but to show the whole world that he is the true God. That was always his intention. Psalm 67 verses 1 to 3 says, God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth. Your salvation among all nations, not just some places, your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So even though the Israelites thought, yes, they were the people of God, but even these psalmists belonged to Israel and they knew that God would bless the nations. God had a heart for the nations, not just for a particular people group. Later on, we see how Solomon builds the temple. And when he finishes building a beautiful temple, he prays to God. And he tells God, Lord, when your people ask for forgiveness and they come back to you, please forgive them. When they come to the temple and they ask for forgiveness, bring them back to the land. Because many times when they did wrong, they were exiled into other nations. But he said, when they call on you, bring them back. And the same way, when the heavens are closed and there's no harvest, Lord, bless them. And the people repent. Lord, give rain and let there be harvest. That was Solomon's prayer. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, and Lord, bless the foreigners. In First Kings chapter 8, verses 41 to 43, it says, Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. So even the foreigners, if they came in and they, they followed the Lord, they would be included in the family of God. Yeah, so the first thing is, yes, he, even in the Old Testament, the Lord's heart was for the nations. And he wanted all people to turn to him. I know when we read the book of Kings, you see so many stories of some kings who followed, followed the Lord, some who disobeyed. And I'm always kind of surprised when I read the story of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the most evil kings. And he, uh, he had, uh, he had, uh, he indulged in witchcraft, sorcery. He even took his children through fire, which was an abomination to God. And that Manasseh, God sent his prophets to him and said, tell Manasseh to turn away. But Manasseh didn't listen. And finally, God sent the king of Assyria to send someone and Manasseh was taken in bronze fetters and taken away. And it's at that time that Manasseh repents. See, one of the most evil kings repents. And let's see what, how God responds. In Second Chronicles chapter 33, verses 12 to 13, it says, Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty. 
heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So such an evil man. When he repented, God brought him back. That is our God. And we know the story of Manasseh, how after him, his grandson Josiah was one of the greatest kings of Judah and he brought such a reformation in the land of Judah. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So that is God's faithfulness. In Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel, God says, Ezekiel, you're my watchman. And I've raised you up to warn the people. So if an attack comes, warn them of their ways. And if you don't warn them, you'll be punished. So he says that, he tells Ezekiel, you being a watchman, when a person goes in the wrong way, you warn them. And if they hear, they will be forgiven. But if you, and if they don't, they will be, they will be forgiven. But because you told them, I will not punish you. But at the same time, when you see wickedness and you don't warn them, they will die of their iniquity and you will also be punished. That is, you know, the, the desire that God has to bring people to him. We as a church are responsible. We are the church who know, who have heard this truth. We can't sit quiet in the up here pews and say, okay, someone will tell them about God. He's asking, you knew that they were going wrong, tell them. Otherwise, the judgment will be on us. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says, Say to them as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and life. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? So God, even in that says, I don't want the wicked to perish. I don't want anyone to perish. That is God's heart. And we all know the story of Jonah. It's our favorite Bible story for the kids. But even in that story, Jonah was supposed to go and tell the the town of the city of Nineveh to turn from their ways and repent. And you know what Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Why would God tell his prophet to go to those people and tell them? It is one of the biggest empires at that time. But God was merciful. And he told Jonah to go. But Jonah, like many of us said, I can't tell them. They will not accept. I'm not going to share with them. And Jonah ran away. But the Lord brought him back and made him go and preach in the city of Nineveh. And the peop- the king and the people turned to the Lord and God forgave them. And after that, Jonah says, I knew you, Lord. You are too good. You are gracious and merciful. You're slow to anger. So even in the Old Testament, the prophets knew that God was a gracious and merciful God and that he was abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So Jonah knew that. And that's why I didn't want to tell them. Because I look bad. And then Jonah goes and sits outside of the city and he's on strike. He sits there and then uh, he said, oh, this God, I'm not going to serve him anymore. I think those are the thoughts he had. And a plant grows and gives him shade. And then the Lord, that plant withers. And then he's mad with God. No, you won't even, even let me sit here. And then God speaks to him in Jonah chapter 4 verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left 
and much livestock. God sees others who have not heard about him as people who don't know the difference between their right and left hand. And he said, how can I let them go to destruction? So I, I just brought the Old Testament here to show you that. Because many people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is so evil. He's always doing war. But he has always had the same heart. A heart for the lost. A heart that no one should perish. A heart for the nations. That is our God. And if you see in the New Testament, Jesus, through various parables, explains the Father's heart for the lost. In Luke chapter 15, there are three beautiful parables that Jesus shares in response to the Pharisees' complaint that he receives sinners. So the, the, the main aim of that is to show them that, okay, this is the reason why I'm receiving sinners. And Luke 15 verses 1 to 7 says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. Wow, what a scene. So he's left the ninety-nine in search of that one lamb. I used to think, why would he leave the ninety-nine? But even those times, uh, even though the main shepherd is there, there are other people to look after the rest. Like here, even if one person goes out, there are the rest of you to take care of each other. So he can go out in search of that one. And when he sees that one, he puts him on his shoulder. Awesome, isn't it? And when he has found it, it lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who do not need repentance. Beautiful, isn't it? There is no creature that strays more easily than a sheep. None is more heedless and incapable of finding its way back. That is, it will start crying, but then go in the wrong direction again. If we didn't have Google, I would have been like that as a driver. <laughs> I remember in the early days, I would not know the direction. So I'd keep on asking people. I'd tell, ask my husband the whole route before going. But thanks to Google now, we can. But the sheep, they didn't have anything of that. And if you let them go, they will just go in the wrong direction. So it is the utmost importance that the shepherd goes in search of that sheep and brings it back. You know, in our home... Uh, upstairs, we have uh, a huge uh, glass door with glass windows entering our terrace. So many times, but beautiful butterflies get into that room. And you know how butterflies are. They try to get out, but because it's glass, they don't know it's glass. They just keep on fluttering over because they're seeing light. They want to go in that direction. And many times the next day, I'll see those butterflies are dead. And it feels so sad. This is something so beautiful that God has created. And they're dead because of they were deceived. They couldn't get out. But when I see them, and if they're sitting somewhere, I can just take it, open the door, and just let it out. And what a joy, isn't it? It's, that is how 
God is asking us to go and search for the lost. If we are not there, they will go into their destruction. And the next parable is in verse 8 and 10. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One of the first things that stands out in these two parables is the worth of a single soul. Tell me, I think we have to start looking at others as that soul. Not just as people or neighbors or colleagues, but as that soul. There is that much value for a soul in the kingdom. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's will that everyone comes to repentance. So by saying this, I've showed you through the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's heart for the lost. God wants everyone to be saved, not just us sitting here, not just those people in the churches, sitting in different churches, but for everyone to be saved. That is God's heart. But are we, how are we going to respond once we understand his heart? Are we going to just be the same? Or are we going to just do something different? See, I can preach today and you can go out the same. But my prayer is that in this season, you will change. Because the Lord has been speaking to me these days, Ask me, Kavita, you're responsible for those souls. You're responsible. So I've been urged. I said, I can't preach this unless I do something about it. So the Lord said, no, you start doing something. So what do we do? How do we partner with God in this burden? The first thing is we need to, be repent. We need to repent for being insensitive to God's heart. Isn't it? See, us coming here is not just about us. My home, my blessing. It's about the kingdom. It's about the lost souls. Us meeting here every Sunday needs to be a kind of fueling place for us to go out and share with others. Yeah? Uh, so the third parable there, we all know that story in Luke 15, is the story of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is the son who asked for all his fortunes and he went into a different land and he squandered all that. And after some time, he finds himself working in a place where there are swi- he has to feed the swines. After some time, he realized, oh, I've done something wrong. Even the servants in my father's home are more blessed. So he says, okay, I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to be a servant there. I have sinned against God and my father. I'm going back. So he goes back. And we know how the father runs to him and takes him up and gives him uh, a robe and a ring and, and uh, slippers, sandals actually. Yeah, If you've seen the coronation of King Charles, I was thinking when they were giving him different things, oh, this is what it means. This is what the father gave the son. This, I want to make you my prince in my home. And he reestablished him. 
And we know at that time, there was much celebration because of that lost son. But then the elder son comes home. And what is his response? And now he's angry. And in verse 28 he says, But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat. Even a small goat you didn't give me. Are you saying that to the Lord? I served you so much, but you're not even giving me one goat. That's what he said. That I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood and harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So this son didn't understand the father. Sometimes I just check my heart. Am I like the elder son? Been in the church for a long time. Been listening to the messages every week. Doing some things for the Lord. But do I rejoice in bringing in the lost the way my father would? Examine yourself today. And if not, ask the Lord to make your heart sensitive. So I have been asking the Lord, Lord, help me, Lord. Help my heart to change to you. Help my heart to understand what you want. So the first thing is, repent and ask the Lord to make you sensitive. Second thing is, ask for a burden. Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep have no shepherd. When you look into the city, how do you feel? When you read the papers, what comes across your mind? Do you have compassion for those who are struggling, those who are lost? Jesus had. He had that compassion. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let that be our prayer. And in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5, Paul says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself was accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul is saying, I would do anything to save my brethren, the Israelites. I would give my salvation. I can't even think of that. But Paul's burden was so great. It's not that he would lose his salvation, but his burden was so great that he said, I would give my place for the Israelites. That was his burden for the lost. Charles Spurgeon mentioned in one of his sermons what John Bunyan, I don't know whether many of you have heard about the Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah, John Bunyan said, He said, 
he often felt while preaching that he could give his own salvation for the salvation of his hearers. That's what John Bunyan said. And Charles Spurgeon mentioned it. And he said, and I pity the man who has not felt the same. So Charles Spurgeon pities me because I haven't felt that way. But I do know that the Lord wants to change our hearts. Each one of us as a church to really have a burden for the lost. Yeah, I, my prayer is that each one of you understands. It's just probably one conversation that's going to change everything. That conversation that you make with someone that will get them thinking. We can change. We can be different. There is hope. Yeah. John Hyde was also known as Praying Hyde. He invested his life in India as a missionary. Okay. So he was partially deaf. And he came to India to preach. But he couldn't, because of his deafness, he couldn't learn languages. It's very difficult. Even if you're not deaf, it's difficult to learn new languages. But he couldn't. But he didn't give up. And people said, why are you doing this work? But he felt the call of God on him. And he kept on praying. He kept on praying. The first few years were futile. No one. He couldn't share to anyone. Then he started asking God, give me one soul a day. Then he, that'll be his prayer. Then he said, give me two souls a day. So when he prayed, he would see to it that he'd go and share. And he would get one soul a day. Then he prayed two souls. Then four souls. To the point that if he didn't get four souls, he would, couldn't sleep in the night. He'll pray, and then the next day he'll compensate. That extra soul. That, you know, that was his burden. He did such a mighty work in India. So you don't have to think about your abilities. It is your willingness to share the good news. So, for, so first I said, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and, and repent and ask him to give you a heart for that. Ask the Lord to give you a burden. I'm praying nowadays, Lord, give me a burden. Help me to, you know, uh, share the good news. The third thing is prepare yourself to share the good news. You have to take that action. So right nowadays I just pray, Lord, I want to share with someone Today, I have to meet someone whom I can say something. Probably Jesus loves you. Or, or just something encouraging that will bring them closer to him. So prepare yourself to share the good news. Use every opportunity to share the good news. What prevents you? Many times it's our shyness. It's many times it's our fear. What will they say? What will they think of me? Will they reject me? Will they get angry? Sometimes they will. But it's okay. Use your wisdom and share whenever you can. So these days, I, I, I keep, we have some small gospel tracks uh, here. So I keep them always with me in my bag or my car. And I say, Lord, someone I have to share it with. And the other day, I was just going and I, uh, to a petrol pump. And uh, the person who was filling gas for my, t- my car, I thought, Lord, I have to tell him. I have to tell him. So I gave him the money. And I wanted to give the card with him, with it. But first I couldn't, and then he just looked at me, and then I took the card and I gave it to him, and he said, what is this? So I said, it's some good news. Uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a goodness of Jesus. And immediately he smiled and says, I know this Jesus. I had a stroke, and I've recovered from that, and I go to a church and I pray, and because of Jesus I stand here. And I was thinking, I was sharing with him, and he came back with such a testimony. See, you don't know what you're going to come across. You can just keep on doing it. The other day, another when the when someone was filling air in my tire, after that I just in cars tires I just gave a card to him, and he smiled and received it. 
It's as simple as that. Simple as that. And I was thinking, I should have done this so much more. People are waiting for that hope. And it's written in those cards, the gospel very simply. So how do you do it? There's a man called Rice Brooks, and he's given an interesting acronym. It's SALT of how to share. It says SALT, S starts for start a conversation. So many times our tendency is just to ignore people. But even if you're going on a walk, you don't know, you can, after seeing the same person three, four days, you can just start a conversation. It's not easy, but you can start. You can take that step, smile. For probably two days, smile. And the third day, ask them about themselves and start that conversation. Jesus did that. When he met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he started a conversation. He said, how do I get water? Give me water to drink. Start the conversation. That's the first thing. Second thing is, ask a question. You can just generally ask questions. Something the person will give you. I'm not feeling well. Or something, I struggle. And you just catch on that. And you can say, oh, I I was not feeling well. Ah, But God healed me. And you can say, that's an opening for you. So you ask a question. I know uh, we have quite a few evangelists here and uh, Sajini is one of them. And I always ask her, how do you share? So she says, she goes to the bus stop and she looks at anyone who looks a bit sad, edges towards them and slowly asks, how are you? Where are you going? And they start. And I've heard how so many people just share their burdens. And I'm thinking even that would lighten their day. Isn't that true? We're just giving that hope. And probably the next person would convince them that this is the true God, isn't it? So I've, I've, I sometimes I think we as a team should follow her one day because she t- goes and shares to about seven, eight people in one bus trip. So that is way beyond um, our thing. Just start small and ask a question. Third is listen to them. There's many times there's no one to listen to people. They may be coming from their home where no one can hear them. And in that conversation, when you listen to them, they give you place to speak. So only if we know, we show that we have enough time to listen to them, they will start opening up some things and we can tell them. And then T is tell the story. Tell your story. What did Jesus do for you? Yeah. So there's a group called Dare to Share who teach how to share the gospel in an easy word way. So they have an acronym gospel. So that's easy to remember. G is God created us to be with him. So God created us to be in relationship with him. That's why he created Adam and Eve. But because they sinned, they were separated from God. So O is our sin separates us from God. And then because they were separated, they couldn't get back to God. But God took the move. And it says that S, sin cannot be removed by good deeds. The world is always trying to be restored by their actions, by doing things to please God. But that cannot take away our sin. And then, so God gave the solution. That is P, paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. And that is what we have to share. That he came to to kind of cleanse us of our sins. And E is John 3.16. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And finally, L, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. What a hope. What a hope we have. 
We have so much to offer the world. It's not a life that is only here. It is a life that is forever. So use this. Probably I could share it in the group, in the groups, church groups, so that you can know how to share in a simple way. So be conscious and try use every opportunity to share the good news. Proverbs 11:30 says, "The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise." So that is he who wins, who saves souls from hopelessness, darkness, and brings them to the light is wise. So first I said, be sensitive to what God requires. Repent and ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to be sensitive to what you're saying. Secondly, have a burden for the lost. Thirdly, prepare to share the good news. And fourth, walk in intimacy with Jesus. Matthew 4.19 says, Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishes of men. Yeah? So Jesus says, just follow me. I will. When you walk with Jesus, it will be easy for you to fish. So these fishermen didn't know anything much. They wouldn't have known much about the scriptures. But their walking with Jesus for three and a half years changed them. And after that, these 11 men, and along with the 12 that came in later, turned the world upside down. So if you are walking intimately with the Lord, you can bring that change. He will make you a fisher of men. So walk in intimacy with Jesus. Fifthly, pray. Psalms 2.8 says, Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. I believe there are many here whom God is going to give you nations. You will start praying for nations. The call over us is into the nations also. The Lord will send you to pray, to preach, to share the good news in the nations. But the Lord is asking you now, ask. Ask for the nations. There was a revival called the Moravian Revival in Germany uh, in 1727 where a group of people from Czechoslovakia, they went to Germany and they started a prayer there. There was a man in charge called Count Sinzendorf. And under his leadership, they started praying together. And the Holy Spirit came in their midst. And with that, they decided to have a 24-7 prayer. They started, there were just about 200, 300 people. They decided to have prayer day and night. And with that started a mighty revival. That prayer lasted for 100 years. And from that place, in the next 25 years, they sent hundreds of missionaries. See, that is just 250 or 300 people. In our church, we have more than that. If we decide and we pray and we ask the Lord for the nations, he will give it to us. He will send us out. So I pray, especially I know the Lord is bringing so many young people here. Let that be that bur- your burden. Go out for the Lord into the nations. Pray. And finally, keep eternity in focus. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. He's saying the end is near. And so have fervent love for others. What is the greatest love that we can show? To bring them from that darkness into the light. That is the greatest love that we can show the lost. So the Lord is asking, telling you, have fervent love for them. And bring them in. 
Matthew 24:14 says, "And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come." Don't be discouraged by the things that are happening in the world. These things Jesus spoke about, but he said that there will be a harvest before that. And the Lord is looking to the church to raise up that harvest, to reap right now. Other people have other people have sowed. We are here in a season where we're going to reap the harvest, the labor that others have done. We are just taking the baton and continuing. And not only that, we've been given a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future in our Bible. Revelation 7 verse 9 to 10 says, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations tribes peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb We are going to go into that scene in heaven. We're going to see people of different nations crying together before the throne and say, "Salvation belongs to our Lord." Let's be part of this harvest. Let's be part of this harvest. Harvest. Let's not be complacent. Charles Spurgeon said, "In every church where there is really the power of the Spirit of God, the Lord will cause it to spread abroad, more or less." He never means that a church should be a nut shut in a shell or nor like an ointment enclosed in a box the precious perfume of the gospel must be poured forth to sweeten the air my god truly has a heart for the lost will we partner with him will we take up this burden I'm asking you each one of you not as a group each one of you individually will you carry this burden in your workplace in your neighborhood will you carry this burden and do what you can and share what Jesus has done for you I challenge you today I don't want us to keep on coming every Sunday to hear the next message without doing something about the previous message let's go the lord said go go therefore and make disciples let's pray abba father lord i thank you lord for you have spoken to me you have spoken to everyone here you have spoken to everyone at home and you are calling a generation that will understand your heart that will not be distracted by the things of the world by the developments of the world but will focus their eyes on you and on your heart and lord today i pray that a mantle of evangelism will fall on everyone here a mantle of evangelism will fall on everyone our young people on those watching such a mantle may fall lord that no one will say it is their response another person's responsibility they will say i will say i will share what god has done for me i pray lord you will give us wisdom you will help us to bring in that harvest and we ask for you, of you the nations we ask of you the city i'm praying right now for the youth in this city i'm hearing there is such hopelessness in this city there is such difficulty that the kids are going through and i'm asking for you 
I'm asking you, Lord, give us the city. Give us the city. Give us the city. Give us the city, Lord. Give us the city, Lord. I hear in the colleges such terrible things are happening. But Lord, I say, ask. I'm asking, Lord, send our people into those colleges. Send our people into the schools and claim those souls. Take them out. Give them hope. Give them hope, Lord Jesus. Help us to be that light, Lord. And I pray, Father Lord, you will equip us. And as we go out, you, we will, our word will be accompanied by signs and wonders. And we will go with such a boldness like never before, Lord. You will strengthen us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this word. And I pray we will act on it, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wscc.in.